0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast
1: One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts.
2: Hey, 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 this is NFL Hall of Famer, Ray Lewis. I'm excited to announce my new podcast, Everyday Greatness, the Ray Lewis Podcast. I'll be talking with friends, family members, old teammates, athletes, celebrities, moguls, and guess what? I'll be talking to you. Listen, this is all in the search for everyday greatness. So I'm asking you to come along with me on this ride. Download new episodes of Everyday Greatness, the Ray Lewis Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on podcastone.com. It's not what you have, it's what's inside of you that actually inspires greatness.
3: Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I'm extremely happy to have on Ben Golliver of the Washington Post, not only because I love him as a podcast guest, but because he has a unique perspective right now as someone inside the bubble. And so we spend the first extended segment of this podcast talking about life inside the bubble, both for him and for the players and the referees, including his piece on pickleball and. I thought it was absolutely fascinating to to get a better sense of that, and then we talk about the games themselves and what he's seen in person, what he's seen on film, potential playoff matchups and everything else. I think it's a great conversation. I haven't heard as much about Life in the Bubble for media members, so I really enjoyed getting that from him, and this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Use the Podcast One promo code for a special sign-up bonus, and runs a little bit under an hour, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Here you go. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure, Danny. How's everything going? Good. I I am more interested in how things are going for you because this is the first conversation, really full conversation I've had with somebody who is inside the bubble. So I wanted I wanted to start. We'll talk about the basketball plenty, but I wanted to kind of get a get a sense of what that experience is like because there aren't many media members that are are doing it right now.
4: Yeah, and there's not many dumb enough to want to stay here for the full 94 nights. So I'm in a pretty select category. You know, right before we started talking, I think you could hear the uh, the, uh, the the housekeeping lady came and knocked on my door and she asked if I was checking out today and I'm not sure why she would have thought that uh, but I had to let her know and I'm not leaving until mid-October Danny I- I'm locked in down here for, for the long haul and She looked at me with, I think, uh, some confusion, but also maybe some pity as well. Um, You know, all things considered, we're into a nice rhythm. I've been here for a month. Um, You know, I'm obviously living in a pretty simple hotel room. I got two beds, you know, hot water, a shower and a nice long desk where I work at. Uh, You know, we don't have access to a ton of different areas. So we can walk around um, the immediate vicinity of our um, living quarters here uh, we can't walk over to the players' hotels. Obviously, uh, we can get some outdoor walks in, uh, kind of around the the exterior of the campus. So you're just sort of walking along empty roads that normally would have a whole bunch of SUVs coming in with tourists. You know, those are those are empty right now. And then we take shuttle buses over to the gyms. The three gyms are kind of side by side, adjacent. You can easily walk between facilities just like you would at Summer League. It's the exact same deal as Vegas. So. Uh, You know, from that standpoint, it's a pretty simple life. I do a lot of my work in my room. Uh, You know, you're eating a lot of meals, either alone or kind of at a cafeteria where everybody's socially distant. Um, You know, at the games, we're obviously wearing masks and and we have great seats courtside. Um, But it's a it's a pretty simple life. I don't know if you want to compare it to like a monk or a monastery. It's kind of like the basketball monastery, I guess.
3: Yeah, I mean, there are parts of that that sound that sound appealing to me. I mean, as somebody who fell in love with basketball sitting in really good seats, there is something that I have missed about that. Not that I'm completely... Complaining about where I am most of the time, but getting—and and for the quality of basketball that we've seen, I mean, up, up until a little bit of the second week of summer league vibes that we've been getting the last couple of days, I mean, I've been very impressed with not only the quality of play, but also the intensity of play. So to be able to see that up close and personal is, is pretty exciting, and to know that you're one of the few people who can
4: well, what I really remember the first couple of days that we got here was just the excitement factor of getting back to work was so strong. You know, we'd been kind of counting down. I'd been really stressed out. You know, is this bubble going to work or are we all going to get sick? Is it going to be a, a situation where you're flying across country to Florida? And then, you know, a week later, you're coming back and it's all just a gigantic mess. I mean, those were the kinds of thoughts that I had coming in. And I was also really nervous that the quality of play wouldn't be great because these guys were off for like four months. And I think it was a a situation where the media and the fans missed the game so much. They know that passion was still burning really strong for them. But what we really learned was that it burned even stronger for the superstar level players. I mean, right out of the gate, you saw LeBron, Damian Lillard, Kawhi, Paul George, Anthony Davis, Giannis, Luka, Tatum. I mean, all those guys had really strong performances in that opening weekend of basketball. And it was sort of like they were just getting back to work just like the rest of us, and they were so glad to be doing it. You could see it just in their body language. I mean, Giannis was just stalking around the court that first game against Boston. Uh, You know, LeBron looked very, very eager, even in the scrimmages to kind of get things going. And so it's been surprising to see how well the offenses are functioning. I do think the lack of travel helps these guys get into a better rhythm more quickly than maybe we expected um, because they're not trying to, you know, wake themselves up after weird time changes or or anything like that. But um, you know, it's been really fun so far. And you mentioned the seats. They are really, really good. I mean, we're basically sitting directly across from uh, one of the team's bench in the main uh, you know, facility. So if you're watching on television, we're on the right side of the television. So, for example, when uh, Damian Lillard and Patrick Beverly were going back and forth on Saturday night, I mean, Beverly was directly in front of me. I could hear every word that he was saying. I could... You know, because because
3: the broadcast, night. you couldn't hear every word he was saying for reasons I think you'll understand.
4: Oh, for sure. And uh, yeah, there was there was some of that mixed in, but it was also just kind of a lot of playful mocking and you know him collapsing into Marcus Morris Sr.'s arms afterwards, you know, because they're laughing so hard. And then, you know, Lillard kind of looking over. It was one of those situations where in an NBA environment, the players would usually pretend that they hadn't heard it. And in this environment, there was no way not to hear it, right? I mean, the the sound travels so well in the gym, and Lillard's only standing, you know, 40 feet away from them probably, so... Uh, you know, it was you uh, it escalated quickly in the post game comments and on Instagram for a reason. You know, there was no way around it. There was no way to avoid it. You might as well just kind of take that sort of thing head on. And I'm hoping that that's the the sign of things to come, actually, because as we get into the playoff intensity and all these teams are fighting for their lives, just like the Blazers were fighting for their life, you know, in, in, over this weekend's games. I really hope that we see you know those kinds of exchanges because that's really what basketball is all about, right? I mean, it's purest essence: competition distilled down, big egos, lots of talented guys, you know, all living in the same hotels practically. Uh, it's been a, it's been a fun time.
3: Well, and along those lines, something that I'm really interested in is the dynamic that players can theoretically watch other games that they're not involved in. And I mean, they have a lot of other things, you know, making sure their bodies are right and practicing and all that. But without travel, I think that could end up being a really interesting dynamic in the playoffs. Maybe you see some of guys scouting opponents or, you know, just just kind of maybe just just to be there. And I mean, I think back to a conversation. So this is eons ago. Chris Paul got a steal late from Monte Ellis and in a a Warriors game. And after the game, somebody asked like how Chris Paul did that. And he's like, well, I watch a lot of the Warriors and I know Monte's spin move. And so I put my hand there and it's like, why was he watching this horrendous Warriors team on League Pass? Then you remember guys like Chris Paul in particular, I mean, but a lot of players in the league, are real lifers. And I think that they might start really appreciating the opportunity to see all this stuff in person that they would have had to do on film.
4: For sure. We've already seen it. I mean, uh, you know, the, the Lakers opening night game drew a whole bunch of all stars. And, you know, one guy who's speaking of the Thunder, because you're mentioning Chris Paul, Sam Presty has been scouting games like morning, noon, and night because, you know, they don't really know who they were going to play in the playoffs. You know, it's been such a jumble there in the Western Conference where they could have a bunch of different possible matchups. So he's been at these games. I mean, he's been at more games than I think some media members have been at it's like between him and Monty McCutcheon, the head of the refs, and maybe Kiki Vandeweghe. I think those are the guys who are logging the most hours in the gym watching these games. Um, and so that's it's just been kind of fun to see, like, you know, who, who are the real diehards of the diehard. But, um, you know, again, like on some of these days, you can watch 10 hours of basketball. It's almost too much. I mean, Danny, I've actually... Put in, in place a rationing rule where I don't let myself go to more than two games in a single day because otherwise I'm just going to burn out. So I've been trying to pick and choose my two favorites. Uh, it feels like a daily doubleheader here, you know, basically seven days a week. And, uh, you know, in some ways, despite all the craziness with the coronavirus and the rules that we have to go through and all the daily testing and the monitoring and the lack of freedom and all that stuff, uh, it is kind of like a basketball nirvana.
3: Yeah. And it's funny because you and I have spent a lot of time together at Summer League. And I think that. This is, in a way, the purest distilled essence of parts of Summer League while taking out other enormous parts. Like a lot of Summer League is like networking and talking to people because everybody's in the same place. And you do have a big part of that, though, because you have all of these people who normally would be spending the playoffs apart with their teams and everything else and league officials that would have to be in different places at different times all in Orlando right now.
4: For sure, the networking aspect is still taking place, but it is definitely different. You know, the official rule is like if we see guys around campus, you know, you're really not supposed to talk stop and talk with them for anything more than just quick chit-chat, and you're definitely not supposed to just try to like randomly interview someone by the side of the lake or like while they're fishing or whatever. Like everything is is pretty regimented to the the post-game and pre-game and shoot around availabilities. At the same time, you just see guys constantly. The other day, I was going out for a walk in the afternoon. I saw Brad Stevens, Nick Nurse, and Eric Spolster all just individually going out for their afternoon workouts. It was like I was uh, playing bingo with Eastern Conference head coaches, so... I mean, everybody's on top of each other here. And I do think it builds a certain level of camaraderie and just there's visibility. There's kind of there's nowhere to hide, you know, if that makes sense. So um, there's a summer camp vibe uh, to that aspect. And, you know, in terms of like comparing it to summer league, I think the biggest difference is that there's real legitimate superstar level power here um, in a way that there just hasn't been at almost any other basketball event to the same degree. Like even during the finals, when you've got super teams, you still are basically talking about what, like six or seven superstar level players, right? Um Here you've got everyone who's healthy is essentially here outside of Katie Steph um and Kyrie. You've pretty much got the biggest names, and so for the first week, it's just like you can go Zion, LeBron, Giannis, Luca, and just rotate those guys. See every game they're playing, and have you know what I would consider to be like really important post-game press conferences where these guys are reflecting and you know talking about uh, social justice issues, talking about how their teams are coming back after the long layoff, addressing some of the coronavirus concerns. I mean, you know, you name it; th- these guys are um, you know bringing up all sorts of different topics. And again, it's just nonstop. You're just being you know almost like assaulted by the- these uh, interviews, you know. Just just one after another and then you know on top of that the interviews themselves it's so empty it does feel like summer league in that way because there's actually fewer media here than there would be at summer league so you know Harden scored 49 points uh, on opening weekend and I was the only media member who was still around for his post game press conference because everybody else had just kind of tapped out because there'd been so much basketball it was like 1230 or like one o'clock in the morning by the time he actually talked to the media. So uh, it's very weird. I mean, can you imagine any other scenario where you're the only media member talking to a player after he scores 49 points in a game that counts? Or, for example, when I was covering the Wizards game uh, against the Brooklyn Nets, you know, one of those big seeding games, you know, earlier in the run um, before the Wizards completely fell off a cliff, I was the only media member covering that game. Like, when was the last time do you think there was a sanctioned NBA game with one media member present? There can't have been very many of those in the last 20 years.
3: Yeah, that's absolutely amazing, and and you think about the the opportunity, but also the platform, and I remember Paul and a few others talking about how Playing these games, actually, the argument I, I stood I, I thought it made sense the, that playing these games actually gave them more of an opportunity to share their their voice to lend their voice to whatever passion is driving them socially and I think that 's really been true, and a part of that is because there 's a lot of time to fill and there aren't and so the media members like you you have the opportunity to go in depth I mean Jalen Brown has done that in particular, and so I think that it has given them those who choose to use it, and there 's no obligation or requirement to to given them the opportunity to not only bring light to things, but also go into some real substance. And, you know, like we talk about how social media allows players to show more of their real personality. I think that this setting is giving them the opportunity to show kind of the depth of their passion outside the court.
4: For sure. And I also think that, you know, the argument about the platform being, um, you know, better than than uh, the distraction potential To me, it completely relied upon how seriously and coordinated did the players take it, right? Because it was going to have to be a player-generated movement. I mean, like, look, the NBA itself, the league office, is very supportive of its players, but they're not going to be like, turning the entire, uh, you know, restart over into a social justice movement unless the players are the ones pushing it. Right. So that's where I give a guy like Chris Paul a lot of credit, getting Black Lives Matter on the court, you know, having the names on the back of the jerseys, having the T-shirts organized. So guys are constantly wearing them uh, to pay tribute to, you know, Breonna Taylor or uh, George Floyd or, um, you know, other you know victims uh, of, of various police incidents. Over these last few months, like that's happening because the players are the ones pushing for it. They're being organized and they're trying to make the the most of the time that they've got here. It is a really tricky balance, though, because every single player down here is juggling three balls, right? They're juggling the health ball. They're juggling the basketball in terms of you know trying to make sure that their teams go deep into the playoffs, and then they're juggling the social justice question. They don't want to let any one of those things uh, go because you know then it either puts it compromises their health, it ends their season, um, or it maybe makes them feel like uh you know this whole thing distracted from what they were hoping it would be. So I think they've done an amazing job with it. Um, it's just been very constant, consistent, and it, with the comments, it's been very organized. You know, you're just hearing a lot of advocacy on behalf, particularly of Brianna Taylor from Star. Our level players from LeBron to Tobias Harrison and, and right on down the list, Paul George. Um, and, and I think that those things do make a difference. And, you know, bottom line, they got President Trump's attention too, right. Uh, you know, LeBron and, and Trump kind of exchanged words last week um, about, you know, was Trump going to be watching because of the kneeling protests and all of that? And, um, you know, I, I think uh, they're, they've made their point. You know, there, there's no question. There's nobody who can kind of question, like, what are the players up to? I mean, they've been doing it every single day.
3: We'll talk about actual games in a second, but one other thing I wanted to bring up was uh, you wrote a really interesting piece for the Washington Post about pickleball, something that I know very little about, but you think about the things that people do, and in this case mostly it's referees, to pass the time, and I, I thought it was an interesting window into kind of how everybody's trying to make a life of it.
4: Well, it was one of the first things that I noticed, Danny, once they let us out of our hotel quarantine, because we were locked inside our room for seven days when we first got here, so the only social contact I had during that time period was to have somebody jam Q-tips up my nose for my coronavirus test, or then to have somebody leave my food on my doorstep, that was it. I mean, nobody else inside Seven days. So coming out of that, your eyes are all bleary. You're trying to adjust the sunlight and everything. Um, and the first person I saw was Donovan Mitchell, who was like, hey, welcome to the, the NBA bubble. I mean, that's what he's telling all the reporters as we're, we're kind of stumbling around. Um, and then the second thing I saw was these the referees playing pickleball, and they were going so hard. I mean, you're talking about Mark Davis, Scott Foster, Like a whole bunch of these guys just really getting after it on the pickleball court. So I was like, "Huh." Like they've clearly like came down here with a real purpose to like make this a thing. And so I was kind of poking around, like, "What's going on?" It turns out Scott Foster, and I think he's one of the most polarizing refs there is. You know, I mean, he's a real stern. He kind of has a a look on his face like he's annoyed at all times uh, because he's been refing for so long. He's heard every whine, he's heard every complaint. And it turns out, like about three or four years ago, he just got obsessed with this sport. It's basically a combination of tennis and ping pong. You play it outdoors, two on too so he came down here as like the ringleader and he decided I'm going to set the court up they they converted this courtyard area into a pickleball court every morning from 9 until noon all the referees go out there um, and play, you know, basically, even if it's 90 degrees outside, they're out there you know, going every single morning. You know, Foster takes it so seriously that he's he's trained up a lot of his referees in terms of how to play. He said he won his first 150 matches and went 197 and three uh, in the first nine days that he was playing. So that tells you an idea of like how much these guys are playing. And then from from that point on, he started creating a power rankings, Danny, like a top 100. You know how we do for the NBA players? He started doing a power rankings of all of his fellow referees. And I asked him, well, like, who's number one? He's like, me. There's no contest. Is that cocky enough for you? Like, I mean, he's got a rankings list with himself as the number one spot that he emails out every Monday to his fellow referees. I mean, talk about a flex. I think that's a pretty big flex.
3: Yeah. And it's also it's also interesting because referees, we don't generally get a lot of color on them. You know, we don't it's that's not a part of because they're not usually they're part of the story in a very specific way. And that is not that is not necessarily it, but I mean, you really see it, especially because to an extent you know there, there's as you said the, like you guys aren 't interacting too much with the players outside of the specific media area, and so like yeah i mean it, it's interesting to kind of see how how everybody's trying to make this work
4: oh, for sure, and I mean the funny part with the referees too is that they might have more downtime than anyone because the NBA rules kind of limit how often they can do games. So Scott Foster is planning to be here for more than 90 nights. And he said that he'll probably work about 20 games out of the 90 nights. Um, and usually a referee schedule, it's like you work a game, then you fly out to the next game, then you work a game then you fly the next game. So you're just always on the move right here. They never have to pack. They never have to travel. They're never flying anywhere in a typical season. They might work 90 games and take a hundred flights or more over the course of a season. Now they're Going to work twenty games here during this uh, restart and have seventy off days basically, which is that's a lot of time. And you know, as they told me, they spent about ten hours per game, either refing, reviewing the film, preparing for it, having a little like a uh, you know referee group lunch or breakfast to talk things through beforehand. So you talk about ten hours times twenty games. I mean, that's basically two hundred hours of work spread out over the course of three months that's a lot of downtime. They're away from their families. They were worried these guys were going to be, um, you know, dwelling on maybe missed calls or, or hearing criticism and those kinds of things. So they tried to give these guys as much possibility, whether it's the pickleball or, um, you know, billiards or, or Peloton bikes. I mean, they really tried to keep their, their lives active so that they weren't, um, you know, getting down on themselves or feeling isolated or, or any of those kinds of things. You know, one big question I had was, you know, if there is, a bad call you know we, we've we heard about the famous loading dock incidents right where like Rashid Wallace is going after referees after the game you know out by like the, where the buses come in like were we gonna get some sort of a you know a Disney pool, Loading dock incident where, like, a referee's hanging out after a game and some player comes by and wants to, you know, confront him about, you know, this, that, or the other thing. They said so far there hasn't been any of those kinds of incidents with, with, uh, kind of on campus, uh, altercations, but the referees have been instructed if anything like that happens, basically, you have to take the higher road. You have to get out of there. You can't be seen in a situation where you're arguing with players or coaches. Uh, and basically, you've got to just, you know, remove yourself, hit the eject button as quickly as possible. So, Again, it's a different, it's an adjustment. Like, can you ever imagine a referee like thinking that that would happen, you know, after a a tough game, say like in San Francisco, they go out to dinner. They're not really worried that someone's going to come up to their table and start screaming at them. Here, there's nowhere else to go. And so it's a, a legitimate thing that they had to plan for.
3: Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. So much more to talk about with Ben Golver, but first a message from Bet Online. There is no shortage of action going on with our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Sports are slowly making their way back. Major League Baseball, now the NBA and hockey, join UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and soccer. Bet Online has all the best odds and lines for upcoming games and matches. And you're going to want to stay tuned to this podcast as Fox Sports analyst Chris Meyer speaks to BetOnline's Dave Mason about the return of sports and what you should be looking for in the coming months. And make sure that when you check out BetOnline, you use the Podcast One promo code because that tells them that you came from us and you get a sign-up bonus, which is absolutely awesome. And if you need more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening every day live for you to check out. And if you're looking for something other than sports... BetOnline also has hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and all the best props in the business. So visit BetOnline or use your mobile device and join now using the PODCAST1 promo code to get your new welcome bonus. Tell them you came from us and you can start playing today at BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Let's move to the, the action on the court. And I, I'll start with kind of a big picture thing, which is interesting. I mean, you've done this mix of going to, going to basically two games in person a day. Is there anything that you're kind of feeling differently than the coverage you're seeing about it like something that somebody who's really stood out to you in a positive or negative way or a team that you're that you're more interested than in, kind of like the the coverage from us normies that aren't inside the bubble?
4: Um, well, I'll say this. I mean, first of all, like the world outside the bubble barely exists to me right now, Danny, it's amazing. <laughs> how, that's a great. It's point. amazing. you know, it's amazing how quickly it gets warped. Like, you know, I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts like news, podcasts, politics, podcasts, like I, all that stuff has almost like fallen by the wayside for me. Um, you know, other than like the very biggest headlines or what's like trending on Twitter. I'm like not, you know, basically, you know, plugged into that kind of stuff at all. What I would say though is um, the main standout to me has just been the feel-out process for the very best teams. You know, we talked about in general the games being high quality and some of the individual star players hitting the ground running. But I think you've seen concerns from basically all of the top three contenders: the Lakers, Clippers, and Bucks, uh, in ways that um, I'm not sure if they're necessarily worries yet, but they do seem a little bit like vulnerabilities you know, with the Bucks, I think it's been the late game offense and execution. I think with the Lakers, it's obviously been the outside shooting. And with the Clippers, it's just the it's the continuity, you know, the, the, the players being in and out and not really having all their lineups together and, and really being able to show what they can do. So you add all those kinds of things up again, like I don't think that they're anywhere near to panicking but i do think that they're still kind of in this adjustment process even though they've been down here for more than a month it's sort of you know trying to feel like you know is this a, is this a new season is that how we're going to pitch it can we get back to where we were in march or do you just have to let all that march stuff go how do we address concerns that we're seeing here in the bubble that maybe we didn't feel like were concerns before the hiatus i mean all those kinds of questions i'm seeing the um the star players and the and the high, high profile contenders trying to deal with and grapple with here and i'm not sure any of them feel completely comfortable right now
3: yeah it, it is a really interesting part of this is that those teams have had to do a lot of figuring out I actually talked about that with Rob Mahoney last week on the show about for for my purposes because there there can be basketball overload in your circumstances and in mine and something that i've dealt with and been happy about is that I've had a lot more interest and a lot more time to delve into those kind of like mid tier teams and the idea always is that it for me is that it, I will have time like you know, so this is kind of more like how I am around the All Star Break. Is like I know I'm going to have time to watch the best teams. Like their 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 time is coming. But for the Phoenixes of the world, the Indiana Pacers of the world, the Seventy Sixers, because of things that are happening. Like there, we know that that the window for them is shorter, and they've been really a lot of those teams. Not all of them. Washington have been really interesting, and so I I've really taken the time to focus on that. It's helped that Nate and I are doing all these league pass broadcasts, and so those games naturally involve less higher profile teams because they're on national TV, but it has been fun to, you know, really appreciate the growth of Devin Booker and DeAndre Eaton and TJ Warren going supernova and the Spurs being a completely different team. And so I I might be under kind of underappreciating the challenges that the cream of the crop are facing, partially because in a quote unquote normal year, you just think, oh, they have a lot of time to write the ship, you know, especially the Bucks aren't gonna face competition in the first round and, and we don't know where the rest of the East is. But it's true. I mean, especially the Clippers, depending on where they end up. They're going to be facing a real challenge in less than a week,
4: for sure. And I, I think the very best teams, like the one seeds, anyways, they're trying to pace themselves as much as possible, right? Like there was this idea that October is so far out there in the distance that you don't want to run yourself ragged. I think everybody who's here feels that, um, you know, you're just trying to give yourself a breather here and there, so. I mean, that could absolutely be part of it. I mean, bottom line for Milwaukee, the adjustment is just start to play Giannis a little bit more, right? I mean, he's he's not even playing that many minutes. That's probably going to solve a lot of your problems. Um, and, you know, we know LeBron will crank it up to a different notch once it's the playoffs and, and things start to matter. I'm with you, though. The story of the first week and a half has been that Western Conference bubble chase. And, you know, I think in a normal playoff year, I would have just tuned out and not really cared too much. Um, The play-in added a little spice, but also just the storylines around those teams, being young and hungry, wanting to come out here and prove points, um, has made it very, very interesting. You've seen uh, developments, I think, that are important. For Phoenix, it's like the scoring balance, you know? They're in situations where you know Booker's having amazing performances, but other nights they're getting seven guys in double figures. That's just a different Suns team, you know. That's a, a group that's playing for each other for the first time in like five or six years, and that's a very positive development. It, it speaks well of their future, and I think it's a lot of credit to Monty Williams um, for bringing that together. You know, at the same time, if you want to go on the disappointment side of things, you have to circle the New Orleans Pelicans, who just came out super flat with their season on the line on Sunday. Uh, you mentioned the Spurs being a different team; Spurs took it right to them, basically ran them off the court. Early in that game, and uh, you know, so you're seeing a situation where you know which which young teams still have personality issues or chemistry issues or core issues to sort through. Um, I think I would circle New Orleans and say, you know, they they leave the bubble with more questions than they even entered the bubble with. So. Um, there's been a lot of, of narrative juice to that race. And, and on top of everything, I mean, Lillard going for 51 points and trying to put the team on his back and keep them in the playoff mix. I mean, that was just endlessly entertaining the other night too. So yeah, there's just, you know, chapters and layers to all of this.
3: It's something that helps the eight seed chase from a motivation, motivation, narrative perspective. All of that is it's a very simple construct. Everybody's going for one spot. And we know the structure of the playing games. Whereas, like I've been interested in the two through seven in the West, like that, I think has more real meat on it in terms of you know potentially like second round like you know like in terms of like the championship and everything like that. But part of the challenge there, and I mean we're doing we're recording this on Tuesday Tuesday morning, is that. It's flexible on both sides. So what that means is, like, we don't know the significance of Utah losing these games and pulling their, pulling their starters because we don't know what seed they're going to end up with, and we don't know who they're getting on the other side. So it's not like everybody's going for the eighth. They're all trying to win. We know the motivation's there. And so I think that's part of what's made the eighth seed bubble So, fascinating.
4: Oh, for sure. And we just got great, like, star-level personalities, too. I mean, it goes back to this idea of, like, should the NBA have considered just taking the top 16 teams into the playoffs rather than doing eight from the West and eight from the East? Because, you know, they're going to be sending home Lillard or Morant Or, uh, you know, Booker, they're already going to be sending home Zion Williamson, and you're going to have a couple of teams in the Eastern Conference, whether it's, you know, Orlando, Brooklyn, that don't have nearly that same star power, aren't going to be as compelling and aren't going to draw as many television viewers as those other teams would if they were in their spots, you know, so um, I think that was something that maybe flew under the radar a little bit, like this was the perfect time to test drive. The top 16 regardless of conference because there was no travel concerns to worry about and that had always been the excuse in, in previous years but you're always going to have resistance from those eastern conference owners who don't want that but you know given kind of the financial peril that the league was facing i thought that might have been uh you know worth a little bit more discussion than we gave it uh you know maybe like a month or two ago during the planning stages but uh the middle of the west has been pretty interesting too and i i, I would just say it's one one word why and that's luca i mean If you saw his performance against the Milwaukee Bucks, I mean, holy cow, that was one of the best games I've seen any player play this season. I mean, even going back a couple seasons, just in terms of all around mastery, um, you know, scoring, passing, just control. um, I mean, it almost seemed like he was in a zone, but like a deeper version of the zone, like a second dimension zone. Um, And it was, I mean, it was just wild to watch how they they came back against Milwaukee. Um, Some of those late game issues I mentioned earlier for the Bucks really, you know, popped up uh, in that spot, but uh, you know, Luca I think is maybe generating more buzz for me anyways than just about anybody who's down here in terms of taking another leap after what I thought to me was the, the most improved season. I think he's even better than he was in March um by a good chunk.
3: I also think that while the the Rockets are generating a lot of attention, I think that Luca and the the potential ceiling for Dallas is another motivator for some of the craziness that's going on in the West, is that, you know, I, I don't know if the Clippers care because they're the Clippers, but I wouldn't want to face Dallas. I mean, if I were ranking right now, and a part of this is because we don't know what the hell's going on with Denver. You know, like they still have some of their best players that haven't even seen the court yet in Orlando. But if I had to rank it right now in terms of who I would want to face in the first round, Clippers and Lakers are obviously one and two in either order. I would have the Rockets third, but I would have the Mavericks fourth. And that is interesting because we could potentially see two of those top four face each other in the first round. I would say that's probably most likely now, though far from certain.
4: Yeah, you have a case. I mean, 3-4 is an argument, isn't it? Houston-Dallas, isn't that a yeah, real question? I, of, absolutely of, of it is. I mean, team? especially,
3: like, we've seen some of the limitations for the Rockets. I mean... Nate and I have talked about this a lot in various forms, but there's been a lot of effort around the league to kind of chase and replicate what the Warriors did defensively. And, I mean, the offensive part of it, sure. You're, you're, there are parts of it the teams can replicate, parts of it they can't. They have the greatest shooting backcourt of all time. But it's actually the, the defensive end that's been more interesting because a lot of teams have gone to that approach of super switchy and, you know, have, a, have your tallest guy still be pretty small But what the Warriors had, both in the Durant version and in the one ahead of it, was they had, A, more competent defenders, but also they had better rim protection than a lot of those groups. And that's one of the limitations, help defense and rim protection, that we saw from the Rockets. I think about that game against the Blazers in particular. And I'm sure there are teams that— I mean, there are reasons to be scared of their offense and their capability. And when Houston's going, they're really, really dangerous. But I'm sure there are teams that are just thinking— This defense isn't that resilient. We can get through it. And especially like the weird dynamic that Robert Covington, a wonderful defender, is a very limited one-on-one guy. He's more of a team defender, opportunist. He's not Draymond Green. And I mean, there are certain things that, that Covington is wonderful at. But Houston, I think if you break through the first level, it's just a little bit soft. And I think there are teams that are thinking about that and a little bit optimistic about it, including potentially the Clippers.
4: Well, yeah, I was um, I was mentioning the Lakers fly, you know, with the outside shooting and not really getting those threes off. I mean, imagine a, p- a path for them where they have to go through like Portland with all their shooters, including, you know, Gary Trent Jr., who I think has been adopted by the Currys at this point. And then they have to go through Houston. Right. Like if, if that if that winds up being some of their playoff matchups that they've got, um, they're going to be at a major deficit. We've seen in situations the last five years in the playoffs, like it's not every single series, but the team that shoots the three better often wins. Right. Often the very best teams in the league are the highest volume three point shooting teams. We saw that in the Western Conference for years between Houston and Golden State. Um so for the Lakers, they would be really zagging when a lot of other teams are zigging. They would have to do it against teams that uh, you know would be playing on neutral sites and and the shooters seem to like these gyms. They've talked about the lack of distractions and and the you know there's no fans, there's no road crowd, nothing like that to kind of throw people off. So um that is a legitimate challenge if you are talking about how do the um, The mismatches look or or the matchup issues go for the Los Angeles versus uh, Houston. I almost wonder, is it less about big versus small and more about just like one team shooting 73s and the other one's not, you know?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great point. And also, I mean, that adds more variance. And so the three-point shooting is something that I'm really interested in Also from Milwaukee's perspective I mean, their defense has been absolutely awesome this year And there are a lot of reasons to believe that it will continue And I think the Bucks, in some ways Especially if it's the Lakers that they theoretically face in the finals I think they could benefit from not as many teams being well-suited To taking advantage of them fully Like, there are teams that can do some things on one end or the, the other But, no, I mean, the Bucks were the best team in the league over the regular season Especially when they actually played their good players but Mike Budenholzer has, I believe, won the regular season math problem, which is basically that if you protect the rim better than almost any team in NBA history and you don't foul, that it's going to be very hard for a team to outscore you. However, I posited last year and I continue to think that it might not be true when we're, when you're only playing the absolute best teams and they don't have to face the Warriors this year. It's a different different kind of challenge, but... I don't know that let's say it's against Boston or whatever, like that the approach of we're going to give up a bunch of threes, especially certain things structurally that, you know, it's just kind of it's part and parcel. Well, those when you're vulnerable against certain things like that, there is a selection problem because the best teams often have players who can do those specific skills.
4: No, they're very leveraged on the threes both ways, right? They give up a bunch and they take a bunch. So like if if either one of those variables is just off because of the setting down here in Orlando, or if they're just the numbers change because they don't have that home court advantage to kind of egg their shooters on or to keep their defensive intensity high or whatever it might be, the math could get away from them. Uh, there, there's kind of no way around it. To me, I'm still reserving ju- judgment on the Bucks skepticism side until we see Giannis play big time minutes. Because I mean, if you look at some of these showdowns, whether it was the down- Dallas game or the Boston game. I mean he's basically scoring a point a minute and he's racking up fifteen rebounds a game and he's he's setting up his teammates for really high quality looks on a regular basis. And I do trust their shooters in general to hit, you know, catch and shoot type stuff that he generates, right? So if he's out there for 38 to 40 minutes, I feel like they're going to be in just a different situation than they've been in when he's playing 30 to 32, Uh, because the minutes when he's not on the court, things get pretty dark for Milwaukee pretty quick, right? Like it's, it's not fun to watch. It's a lot of, you know, guys, you know, ball handling and trying to initiate who are a little bit, uh, you know, underqualified to be doing those things. And so, you know, I think from that standpoint, I'm not out on Milwaukee, maybe like some people are starting to kind of go that direction or at least thinking about it. But I do think that they're the biggest losers of the restart because they had an incredible home court advantage. They were setting up to have a really easy kind of cakewalk through the playoffs. They had amazing momentum down the stretch. Um, They made some nice trade deadline pickups like a Marvin Williams, which is like kind of a perfect piece when you're heading into that home run, that that home stretch. And then everything got put on uh, pause and now they're trying to rebuild all these things, whether it's the momentum, chemistry, um, you know, cohesion on offense and everything else. And you throw on top of it, you know, Giannis is stuck away from his young child. I mean, that's definitely a factor weighing on his mind. It would be for any uh, new father, especially a first-time father. I mean, to me, I feel like they got impacted by the shutdown more than any other team.
3: There is certainly a a strong argument for that, especially because of how, how they're rolling. And interestingly though, I thought one of the potential other wrinkles that could have challenged the Bucks with this setup was that the passage of time could open up two different things. One it could have made different players healthier. Fortunately, Ben Simmons was back from his had recovered from his back issues. Unfortunately, he is out again with the having surgery for this loose body in his in his knee. But it also gave theoretically more time for one of the other teams to kind of step up. And you, we, we had no idea really what, would, what kind of skill development and player development would happen during the hiatus. And so I was open to the possibility that something was going to change and it was going to make one of those lesser contenders in the East a lot more dangerous. And I think one of the large-scale dynamics that I think really is working in favor of the great teams—you brought up the challenges, and those are all fair points— is that I don't think anybody's really stepped into that. I don't think Houston or Toronto or Boston or Miami or Dallas really. I don't think any of them is like, oh wow, they're really really good right now, they're super dangerous, and that could change. But like, I don't think I'll use Toronto as the example. Like, my concerns about them were their half court offense, and I- I've watched a lot of them so far in the bubble. That concern is not abated at all, it's still exactly there, and so. Some guys look better, some guys look worse, but I don't think anybody has really risen to that level yet, which makes life easier on them, even though none of those teams will have the benefit of home court.
4: Yeah, I think Toronto is probably the best of the second tier, and I was like kind of flirting back and forth, You know, have they pushed themselves into that top tier? Is this really like a four-team race? Because I think all year long I was looking at this as a three-team race. I would still consider them the second tier. Um, you know, I definitely hear your concerns. They've had some moments where they've looked incredible down here, right? And I do think they've that, been like, the best MSG defensive wise, team in the
3: bubble. Uh, no, no, right. and no, I, must, no fuss, best defensive team.
4: Right, and I, yeah, and I think the numbers and just the eye test match on that one completely. Like they've been very locked in. I do think that you know they're team culture benefits from you know they don't have any unhealthy egos everybody's kind of on the same page they had a deep playoff run together last year they could actually have used the rest because they had a number of older players so that that time off probably helped them and then coming back together they seem like they enjoy each other's company and they want to be here and they like being the underdog and defending champion such a rare combination of factors i think they love both of those things so um to me i would still like to see more from pascal I don't want to call him a disappointment yet, uh, but I think maybe he hasn't fully unleashed what he's capable of down here um, for a guy who had an amazing regular season. Um, I, it's just one where he leaves me a little bit wanting more, but they've been awesome, and I do think that they're a bigger threat now to Milwaukee than they would have been back in May. That, that's just my take.
3: I, I think it's fair to argue that they're a bigger threat than they would have been back in May just because they've had a little bit more time. Um, I just don't think they're as, as big of one as I I thought they might be but I so i think we don't disagree it's just how you how you frame the question it, it is pretty interesting there and yeah in boston i mean i i thought they could be a big beneficiary of this too because kemba walker you know getting more time with that knee and he's still not all the way there i, I mean i think he's looking, i think gordon hayward's looking better physically too which is important and i you know going in you know uh i've On this pod in particular, I've I've talked a lot about, like, the the series that you're most interested in seeing with people. I might ask you about that later. And, like, almost everybody's talked about Toronto-Boston. And both of the – like, I think in some ways I'm even more excited for that potential series now than I was in, let's say, March when it looked like it was inevitable then too.
4: Well, I'm way more excited for it, but it's only for logistical reasons because that's the kind of series, like, being in L.A. that I would never cover, right? Because that's a good point. Like. Is it worth it in the second round to fly all the way up to Toronto? And then like, you now I've spent all this time on the East Coast and when you probably have like, you know, the Lakers and the Clippers still in it. So for me, that that series would have always been back burner. And now I think you've got a case as that one maybe being the most entertaining of the second round series, kind of depending on how the matchups shake out. We're still waiting, but um, I think they're going to get a lot of center stage attention. And I, I do think it's going to be a pretty fiercely combated one. Um, you know, Boston's had its moments down here as well. I mean, you know, they look pretty rough when Tatum looks rough. And it feels like the the sky is falling and we're getting all these panicky headlines from the Boston media. And then when he starts to have his offense going, things, you know, get get back to normal. And all of a sudden, you know, the excitement factor from the Boston media is back up. So they've been riding the roller coaster a little bit. I do think the biggest development from what you were describing in terms of like, OK, you know, what's the, the benefit for the favorites uh, after the time off? has just been that Philly basically has already combusted, right? Like, weren't they the, the kind of the the boomer bust team that we had looked at entering here for the Eastern Conference? It was kind of like Houston and Philly were the two teams that, like, hey, maybe after all this time off, their talent will win out. The injury concerns and the chemistry concerns will kind of fall by the wayside, and they're just like a team that you don't want to see in, like, basically an AAU tournament format. I think that's become true for Houston. They've pretty much lived up to those expectations. But for Philly, it's like Simmons is already out. Half their team's injured, and Embiid got injured the other night. Apparently, it's not too serious yet, um, and they just haven't looked good. All their fit issues on the court are still there. Uh, you know, they're they're yelling at each other in the very first game. Shake Milton and Embiid. I just find them to be not very fun to watch, not a very compelling threat, and just maybe one of the bigger disappointments here. And if they went on in the first round, it really wouldn't surprise me.
3: And that gets into what I think is one of the more challenging overall dynamics of the bubble, is that we've had this long time between when competitive games happen. And thinking about this from a general manager perspective, whether we're talking about New Orleans, you know, and the disappointment that they had, the excitement coming out of Phoenix, or the disappointment that looks like it's almost inevitable and already present in Philadelphia, is can they separate the immediate from from the future, from the past? And it, it's a lot to take in. I mean, remember, the, for a lot of these teams, it's an eight-game sample, and it might not even be a representative one. Maybe you played a couple teams that were sitting guys or anything else. Like, this isn't, like, an 82-game season and all of that compressed into eight. And so... I think in some circumstances that could work out well. I mean, teams are getting new pieces of information. Derek White's looks so much more confident in his shot. The Suns having Mikhail Bridges in the rotation, I think that's really helped their defense. Aiton looks improved on that end. But there's also going to be pressure, whether it's from ownership or from their own evaluation, for a lot of these decision makers to Probably rely a lot on the small sample, and I'm and, and it could even affect players too. I mean, like I, I've t- talked a lot about how players like Drew Holiday and Victor Oladipo, even though they're not pending free agents this summer, they have a big voice because they can express a conceptual openness. Or theoretically, in in Oladipo's case, sign an extension. I guess Holiday could too. And I'm wondering. How all of that's going to play out? Like, does Phoenix see this and go, "We're good," you know, "We'll be a playoff team next year." Doesn't matter at all, like that. And does you know, does Philly say, "Well, crap!" Like, look at this. Like, we're 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 in disarray. It's time to make some moves. And I just don't know.
4: Well, I think in the case of Phoenix, this is like the most positive momentum they've had in so long. And if you're trying to you know keep Devin Booker happy and keep him invested for the long haul. Having this bubble go so well is so much better than ending another season in, you know, late March or early April and shutting him down and playing for the lottery balls and all that. I mean, this is a monster win for them. So I definitely think they're going to be headed into next year with lots of momentum. I think the the, the interesting question for Philly is like where is Ben Simmons mind at? You know, to me it was kind of a desperate move by uh Brett Brown to take the ball out of his hands essentially to kind of shift his position, change the lineup, you know, basically promote Shake Milton. It's the kind of move that you do if you feel like you're coaching for your job. And so you have, I mean, that's a slap in the face to superstar level guys. That just is, that's how they're going to take it. They're going to say the right things. Usually it seems like he did, but there's no way that was what he wanted out of bubble basketball, right? Now you have it turn around where he gets injured again. It feels like another setback. does it start to creep into his mind. This idea of like, oh man, you know, whether Philly's cursed or it's just never going to work here or like, you know, do I want a fresh start or whatever else? Like. I think if I was advising Ben Simmons, I would be saying, like, hey, man, like, how much do you really like it in Philly? Like, how much do you really believe in this long-term vision? And if he's not all the way in, I would think long and hard about having conversations with management and being like, look, you know, this just isn't really working for either party here. We keep coming up short. Ben deserves to have his own team. He would be in a better situation with uh you know an up and down uh roster everything's built around him i mean simmons plus four shooters uh, has a real sky high offensive ceiling potential and it would be way better for his own individual marketing, you know, and and fame and all those kinds of things. Um, I don't know. That's where my head would be at if I was him. Uh, and we'll see how well they can keep the pieces together and keep everybody aligned. You know, maybe it winds up being a coaching change this summer for Philly where they're able to kind of keep the players, but, you know, shift directions with uh, with Brown. But I don't know. I think I would be running out of patience if I was Ben Simmons, which is the whole thing. I just I didn't like how that played out. For him specifically, I don't think you treat your most talented, best players in that manner, asking them to kind of sacrifice on such fundamental issues. And you know, you throw the frustration with injuries on top of it. I don't know, man. I I might be uh, I might be looking for greener pastures if I was him.
3: They also have to deal with the big challenge of finances, and there is an easy argument that no team was affected more by the change, what seems like inevitable change, from the preliminary projection to where the cap is probably going to end up then Philly, not because they were going to have cap space, but because now their potential luxury bill gets a lot higher. And the practical challenge for Elton Brand is that if ownership says this team is too expensive for what they are... Yeah, the easy thing to do is always like trade somebody who's less important, but that's really hard to do, especially if around the league. Like, I don't think anybody sees Al Horford's contract right now as positive value. He didn't have a great year. There's no he's getting older. There's no guarantees that he's just going to go back to Boston, Al Horford. I mean, that's generally your assumption is take a player for what he is what he is right now. So then it becomes okay. We have to shed money, but probably Horford is going to be difficult because it's not like they're the, the Sixers are an asset rich team. So then if they if that becomes a directive from ownership it gets very sticky maybe Josh Richardson and then if Simmons can kind of put his thumb on the scale and say I'd rather not be here. Then maybe you could start to see see that dynamic. Now, I think they're going to wait another year to try to do anything with Simmons. I think coach, if they want to do a, if they want to do something, a coaching change is the more natural step. And remember, Elton Brand didn't hire Brett Brown. In some ways, you could. I mean, they have a relationship, but it's. I think it could be different. That that's always something I look for is when a general manager didn't hire that coach. That probably means that it's an easier shakeup to do. So yeah, that'll be really interesting to watch. He's going to
4: have to blame somebody because his last couple of years have been rough. And like you're mentioning, has there been a worse return on investment for any roster in terms of how much money they're spending and what they're going to get out of it than the Philadelphia 76ers?
3: Off the top, I'm sure there has been, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. It's it's those ones that are so bad that you don't even think about how expensive they are. But your point is well taken, and remember that that's going into the future. They've already made those commitments, and that's a big problem for ownership. They're like, oh, crap. It's not just a one-year Grin and Barrett type of situation. I mean, Simmons, Embiid, Horford, Tobias Harris, who, I mean, I think that in some ways <laughs> is, is the bigger mistake no. that they've made in all this. <laughs>
4: It's gridlock. I mean, and they're they're locked into a group that doesn't work for the next four seasons. Something big has to give. And, yeah, it's a matter of time. I can understand this idea of, like, you know, just punt all major roster questions until after COVID. I can understand that. I could even see teams that are in, in less strong financial situations, just like hanging on to coaches until COVID passes, right? Until you can get, you know, your real revenue numbers back up. So you feel like you have the kind of flexibility and you're not handcuffed by the, the finance side of it to actually make changes to your, your organization. But it's not working. We're seeing it not work over and over again. Um, we can only sit, yell it so much before eventually they have to do something.
3: I don't want to dwell on it, but I think the single most compelling team for this idea of you have to blame somebody is Sacramento. Because now it's all on flood. I mean, he it seems like he has infinite latitude, but it's like, well, he fired fired the coach, and I, I don't think Dave Yeager is entirely the reason they were more successful last year than this one, got the exact guy he wanted, paid Buddy Heal, like this is a team full of guys that he has acquired, and, you know, they—they. They, I guess you could argue that they got sort of close to the playoffs, but remember, all these teams, these teams this year are battling Memphis' 33 and 38 as we record this. In a quote-unquote normal year, you have to expect that the playoffs are going to be around like 500 or maybe even significantly more than that because of where the league is kind of—this conference is kind of structured. So if Vivek or whoever is unsatisfied with where the Kings are, I don't even know who Vlade yells at at this point.
4: Yeah, I mean, look, I don't even know where to begin with the Sacramento Kings. I mean, I feel like they probably got less buzz than anybody besides Washington here, Um if I'm looking back on it, it, it felt like they were in and out so quickly. Um, you know I they've got some fundamental roster questions, you know, buddy healed, was he the guy? Should they have paid him? what they did? I was against that move at the time. I'm not sure he really answered that question in the affirmative. Uh, you know I obviously you got progress from Fox this season, which is which is great to see. You know, the Bagley thing just looks worse and worse and worse. Every time Doncic has a big game, it feels like that decision just, you know, magnifies. Um, And I don't understand why uh, there hasn't been some movement in their front office over these last couple of years when you're looking at some of the misses in the draft, you know, just consistently year after year. At some point of your ownership, wouldn't you want to have, uh, you know, some level of accountability there and, and change direction or just start questioning what's happening with those picks I think I would if I was in that spot, but who knows.
3: So I will end this with the question I've ended a lot of podcasts with recently, which is we'll go separately Western Conference and Eastern Conference of realistic possibilities, let's start with the East. What first round, second round, and conference finals would you most want to see? Just, just want to see, not any other sort of reason.
4: Uh, let's see here. Well, the first round, I would probably say, uh, you know, strictly for bad blood purposes, I would go Celtics Sixers. Um, sure. I think that would be the first round series, pretty obvious there. Second round, uh, I think we already talked about it, but I think Raptors and Celtics is the is the pick there. Now, Miami, Milwaukee could have some juice too so it deserves some conversation there uh, but i think i would stick with Raptors, celtics and then just in part because we haven't really gotten that showdown you know it feels like it's kind of been looming and 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 waiting so that that would be nice to kind of settle on the court mm-hmm. and then ultimately you know i'm gonna pick chalk you know i want to see milwaukee toronto in the conference finals i think um You know, Giannis needs to chase the redemption. If the Raptors knock him out again, wouldn't it have some sort of like bad boys Pistons vibes to it, right? If they're able to get him two years in a row. So I think that those are my picks in the East. How about you?
3: I'll go now with the limitations of the Sixers. Like I, I'm kind of even leaning towards maybe heat pacers. I don't know. It's, it's a hard choice in the first round. Second round Raptors Celtics, no hesitation. And I, I think Raptors Bucks would be the better series, but because of Milwaukee's philosophical stuff, I think I'm going to go Bucks Celtics just because the idea of a pull-up jump shooting team, they the idea that they're not going after the rim is hard. I'm interested to see that kind of team against Milwaukee because we haven't, you know, like Boston, I think they're a little bit different this year with Kemba and everything else. So, I'd be very interested in that series. But yeah, I'd be, I'd love Raptors Bucks too. Like there's it's a hard choice. But let's move to the West.
4: Well, I think it's more interesting in the West to be honest. I think first round I'm going Clippers Mavericks. I want to see it in part because you know one of the things i was writing big time last summer was just like this idea that the clippers super team was kind of like built almost as a way to like foil the rockets you know because they have such interchangeable wing pieces great perimeter defenders they can go super small and like you know they're really versatile um i feel like you know trying to take down luka and and dallas's ridiculous offense is like the perfect tune-up um for that other possible matchup that uh, we were all kind of like circling or maybe expecting between you know houston and the clippers so i think that would be uh my, my number one first round matchup also because we've talked about what does playoff Luka like, look like does he like step up and uh you know really leave an imprint here in his first time in the playoffs and doing it against the clippers with that level of uh you know defensive cast and veteran pieces i mean that's a real stiff test so i just want to see him kind of thrown to the fire um in terms of the second round i think it's lakers rockets you know i mean if you're talking about how does the the apple cart get turned upside down here i feel like that's the series that could do it You know, Houston with so many three-pointers, knowing exactly how to get their shots. Um, you know, I don't think the Lakers are particularly deep right now in terms of talent. So it's not a situation like with the Golden State seemingly could always outlast the Rockets. I'm not sure that would be the case, um, you know, in a in a Lakers rocket series, you know, at the same time, I don't love any of Houston's options against LeBron or Anthony Davis, for that matter. So I do think it would just turn into kind of like this superstar showcase where like every guy is just going nuts. and, And they're doing it in very different fashion, you know, in terms of stylistically between those two teams. And then in the conference finals, Again, I'm gonna pick Chalk. I mean Lakers, Clippers. I don't know if we're actually gonna get that. I'm probably, you know, significantly less confident in that matchup than I was before the bubble, just because of all the weirdness. I was feeling like you could pretty much pencil that in, um, you know, before the shutdown, but look i mean i live in la i watch these two teams circle each other you know lots of trash talk back and forth you know during and after these games uh you know you know sometimes it's passive aggressive sometimes it's direct i mean that's kind of the series i've been waiting for the whole way so those are my picks
3: we're in pretty close agreement my my the biggest one for me is i i I tweeted this and got some anger from nuggets fans but the first round series i most want to see is nuggets mavs it would be crazy like theoretically if that were a two seven i would there'd be a very real chance i'd pick the seven and i don't know that i've ever done that before Especially in the case where it wouldn't really be injury-related, though it would be—I mean, Denver, we don't know exactly what's going on with their guys. I just—also, I mean, Jokic and Doncic are two, like, very unusual, talented players, and so I'd like to see kind of how the—and, you know, Jokic— had some real success against the Spurs last year, but then I thought that he stumped like that the Nuggets more so than him stumbled against the Blazers. And like, I was disappointed in how the playoffs went for them and Dallas. That would be a fascinating test for a first test for them. Whereas I think the the Clippers are just too damn good. And it'd be fun to see how Luca does, but I wouldn't be as, it would be one of those series where I'd be interested in the substance, but not necessarily in the result, because I think that the Clippers would just win it in let's call it five or six. Um, Second round, I grew through fully. Lakers, the Lakers, Rockets, Rockets are the number number three team. I think I think I'm more interested in a Rockets Lakers series than a Rockets Clippers, and then Chuck Lakers Clippers. I mean, we've been circling it since we were sitting in Vegas and heard about the com- combination of the Kawhi signing and the Paul George trade. That's been what we all wanted to see, and so I I I want to see that series probably more so than any series, including any specific NBA Finals, because. There are a couple NBA Finals I'd like to see, so yeah, Lakers Clippers is my my number one of the whole league.
4: No, I'm with you. I mean, remember back in Vegas when the Clippers walked in on the Lakers sitting courtside and Patrick Beverly and LeBron. And, you know, that was when they started to circle each other. Right. I mean, that was it. That was the day one. uh, The battle for Kawhi, you know, winds up going the Clippers way. Those guys come in all cocky, feeling great about themselves. It's a new rivalry born. We do want to see that play out. If it doesn't, I I think that there would be some uh, pretty serious financial repercussions and TV ratings repercussions if uh, we wind up with different uh, matchups somehow along the way.
3: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure as
4: always, Danny. Take care. I hope everybody is uh, is good on your end and we'll talk soon.
3: Thanks again to Ben Golver for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at the Washington Post, including the Pickleball piece that we discussed. You can also listen to him on the Greatest of All Talk podcast, greatestofalltalk.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Ben Golver, B-E-N-G-O-L-L-I-V-E-R. I really love this conversation. It was fun because Ben and I haven't talked really much at all since he's been in the bubble, and so I was learning a lot of this from the conversation, which is great. And a lot of a lot that I've been interested in and kind of just piecing all of this together and love having him on. If you want to support this show, there are a lot of ways you can do it. You can subscribe and download every episode. That is extremely important for this show in particular because it will never come out on a specific day of the week due to my availability, guest availability, editing, all that fun stuff. So whatever podcast player you use, Apple, Spotify, whatever um, – subscribe makes a huge difference. Also, leaving a rating, leaving a review can make a big difference too. That helps other people find the show, as does word of mouth, telling people, hey, this episode's really good, or the show in general is something you might like. Those direct interactions can be very important. But the single most important thing for this show, and any other that has them, is to check out our sponsors for this episode, bet online, use that Podcast One promo code for a special sign up bonus, and of course, to tell them that you came from us. And listen at the end of this podcast. There's a conversation with Chris Myers and Dave Mason at Bet Online that you can listen to as well. A lot going on in my neck of the woods. You have. This show and Dunked On, were five times a week going strong right now, but also the NBA cast has, has a, this new form where for the next couple days, there's only a little bit left of League Pass games. Nate and I are doing a lot of League Pass broadcasts. You can check out my Twitter for what those games are, and that's us commentating with the game on. This isn't syncing up or anything like that. It's an absolute dream for us. We've loved the experience so far, and we still have, as I'm recording this, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, left to do. After that, we will switch to the NBA cast in the more traditional form where you sync up and all that. But the games will be national, so it is a lot easier for people to make it work. If you ha- And then writing the athletic. I have the collaborative pieces. I have my solo offseason previews. The teams that are being eliminated right now, those should be coming out over the next few days. If you have any feedback on this show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it, and I will respond if I can. This is an extremely busy time, but I will do my best. So thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make sure to listen to Chris Myers and Dave Mason right now.
0: Hey, this is Chris Myers, and I have a new podcast coming soon to podcast one, CMI, the Chris Myers interview. I hope you listen for it and be glad for you to join us. But today, excited to be chatting with Dave Mason of Bet Online. You know, sports are back, finally back, and, and filtering through, and we're excited uh, that they are back. And David's it's exciting uh, to talk to you. So uh, tell us uh, what kind of action there is with uh, a lot of stuff going on at one time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was a challenging few months. You know, we went from uh, promoting Russian ping pong and marble <laughs> racing and all this other crazy stuff. I had never in my wildest dreams. I thought I'd be handicapping. But now, you know, we got the NBA's back. The playoffs are almost here. NHL, MLB with their short and regular season and uh NFL's right around the corner. College football, we'll see. <laughs> but but for planning on it, if it's here, we'll, we'll all the odds for it.
0: Yeah, and I think we're all kind of waiting to see, so you better move on it quickly because seasons could be shortened or or altered. And yeah, it really has been missed, just the, the excitement of kind of involving yourself. How about, you know, baseball with extra teams, getting into the postseason, and you mentioned the the shortened season. I mean, we know about Yankees, Dodgers, we know the favorites, but there has to be a chance of good opportunities for some sleeper teams that might have better pitching that just get in the door and then all of a sudden work their way uh, to maybe a major upset and make it to the – uh, the World Series
1: yeah, no, and we saw that we you know we saw that ever since uh you know we've had the World Series odds up all throughout you know the 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 months where sports were kind of down, but people, we still had all the futures up, and we saw that as as news of uh t- the sports coming back and their shortened seasons and uh t- teams were taking i mean because sharp betters and and more intelligent betters they were they were taking shots on the on the longer uh longer odd teams you know um so we were seeing that left and right you did the same thing you know and the more games there are things are going to everything's going to even out right but the shorter the season is no matter the sport or the shorter the games in a series or whatever there's that more of a anything can happen kind of like march madness one and done right that's why you always have the cinderella stories but if you know march madness series were all seven games and the cinderellas would be fueled far between so that's kind of the same theory here why why a lot of bettors are taking more uh shots at these long shots than before
0: yeah, I mean, you could have the Yankees or Dodgers run in, and over that first that first playoff series. There's no one wild card. It's it's three three games, and they're all in in one ballpark. Now, again, home field advantage in baseball already iffy, but now the current situation uh, that could change things. And then also, you, you know, you, r- risk of injury is always a factor. But here you have health issues that a star pitcher sure. or star player right could be out of the mix, and that upsets everything.
1: No, absolutely. And that's another great point and another reason why I think people are betting long shots more than ever in World Series. You know, it's that that just evens the playing field that that, you know, the no one's gonna be immune to to catching this. You know, a star player can catch it from the Yankees just as much as a star player can catch it from the Pirates. So, um it's gonna even the playing field a lot if it's some of these uh star players from the Yankees, Dodgers, Twins, Braves, et cetera, start start um
0: you know, catching this thing. So without a doubt. All right. America runs on football, the NFL, if any, I think will just go straight forward ahead and they'll adjust. And uh, simply when there were health problems at baseball, they, nobody folded the tents, they kept it going. And we're on target for a regular season. I know they have backup plans, maybe a shortened season, whatever, uh, but we're good to go. And, and I know, people who love to get involved in this, they, they gotta be excited. And maybe things go up too quickly. You, you know, you don't win the off season, but when Tom Brady is in, is in Tampa Bay or Philip rivers in, in in Indianapolis, even, you know, i am intrigued by how, how people are interested in the Patriots who are always the Patriots, but without Brady and now Cam Newton or Jared Stidham, whoever Belichick goes with that, that's got to create a lot of uh, excitement and anticipation.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, all that Brady news to the bucks came down uh, after, I guess all the sports got nuked a few months back, and uh, that was an exciting week for us because you know we're just we were just starving for action on the sports side of things, and then stuff like that happens, and all of a sudden people are betting the NFL futures. You know they were betting the Buccaneers to win the Super Bowl, they're betting um, you know the, the 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 Bills to win the AFC East, they're betting under. Season wins for Patriots over season wins for Buccaneers. So we saw a lot of action coming in that week. So um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Buccaneers are they're getting. I've never seen we are so we have such a huge exposure on the Buccaneers to win a Super Bowl. I've never seen anything like it in all my years doing this. So that that's the the, the betters are hyped on on the Buccaneers. I mean, they were like I think they're like forty to one. Uh, before Brady, before people thought that Brady was gonna go there, when the rumors started coming out, it was right down to twenty-five to one, all the way down to I think we have them like eight to one or nine to one now. They're probably undervalued, overvalued, but um, but yeah, you know, our exposure is just so big on them that we we have to be a little conservative with their number.
0: Yeah, and it really grew. And here's – yeah, he's, he's coming to – he was in one place all this time to a new team with a lot of talent in, in, in Tampa Bay and a different coach. And yet, without a preseason, you, you wonder – of course, he's an experienced veteran, but the timing and settling, and that'll be fun to watch. Right. Before we wrap, real quick, I mean, I, we could go on and on. But the NFC West is intriguing, and I always like it's a simple thing, you know, the over-under on wins, right, based on, on teams. And, and I think where the defending NFC champions come from, the 49ers, uh, you know, obviously you've got Seattle with Russell Wilson – you have the Rams, who were in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and I don't think they're as down as people think. I think they're going to surprise some, some people getting back up there. And then Kyler Murray and what they've done in Arizona. Uh, I mean, that division, uh, it's a hard over-under because they're going to be playing each other twice a year, beating each other up.
1: No, and that yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, four teams that could legitimately win it. That, that Cardinals is a great example of how action came in. I mean, they're, they're our most popular um, bet for over wins for the season, I think they're at seven and a half right now, and a lot of that came in when Hopkins got traded there, and action just started piling in. On the Cardinals, and yeah, the betters are pro 49ers, pro Seahawks, pro Cardinals. They're down on the Rams though, but I, I, I don't know how you can sleep on the Rams. You know, you know, two years out of the Super Bowl, so. That's going to be a fun watch, without a doubt. All
0: right, thanks, Dave. Appreciate the time. Be sure to check out Bet Online; they're your online sportsbook experts. And use promo code Podcast One. That's spelled O N E podcast, and then an O N E podcast one. And you'll, uh, when you join, you'll get a sign up bonus.